Hello, everyone. Um, welcome to episode four. We're on episode four already of ND Inspo. And today I have with me Dr. Dorian Richardson, who is a licensed naturopathic physician in the state of Arizona. Uh, she predominantly focuses on sexual health, reproductive health, and mental health. She's a graduate from Southwest College of Naturopathic Medicine. She's a mother, a teacher, a public speaker. And today I reached out to her because she had an extremely pertinent and excellent talk um, recently about the racial disparities that we're seeing with COVID-19. Um, and so I really wanted to get her on today to talk about the issues and also to you know hopefully come up with some solutions for not just us but others in the medical field um you know obviously our target here is naturopathic doctors but i think this is really relevant for anyone in healthcare <laughs> um so dr Jordan, yes. if you wouldn't mind just taking a moment kind of maybe introducing yourself a little bit more and then we can kind of get into it. Awesome. Hello, everyone. I am Dr. Dorian Richardson. Like she said, I am a licensed naturopathic physician in the state of Arizona. Um, I have a practice in Santan Valley, Arizona, and I also do a mobile clinic throughout the valley, throughout the greater Phoenix area. My main focuses are um, sexual and reproductive health, and I, but I also do a lot of um, uh, women's health, and I also love mental health because I think mental health is one of the pillars of our overall physical health as well. So I do focus in on that quite a bit, like she said. Um, I'm really excited to be here and speak with you guys. I've always been big on global medicine and community health. I took lots of classes on it. And, um, I've traveled, I've been to Mexico, Tanzania, Bolivia, um, a few different places, um, Brazil as well, to work in the communities there to do global medicine, community health research. And I've just always had a passion for people. And so I'm really excited that she reached out to me to talk on this message. Uh, being a member of the um, African American community makes it very personal for me and something that I've grown up in and lived through. And so it also guided me to make sure that when I became a, a physician that I was a voice for the people who didn't have a voice. And so I'm really excited to be able to share with you all today. Yes, thank you, Dr. Dorian. I think that's, um, I think it's something that we have in common. We both, um, as far as the global health goes, but also really wanting to help bring some light to uh, where we still need it. Um, so um, let's get right to it. Um, what's going on? What is up with this, the racial disparities and COVID-19? What are, what are we seeing? So if you've been following in the news, I know you've seen the statistics. Um, as a physician and anyone in the science community, we know that a virus itself does not have a preference for a particular race. So it's not as if the coronavirus is out here, it's targeting the African American community. However, there's disparities in the healthcare field that have set us up before we've gotten to this point that have made us more vulnerable to COVID-19. And not just to COVID-19 because we, there haven't been statistics on the race breakdown yet of who has been infected, but they have been releasing who has been dying. And when we look at the death from COVID-19, you're looking at some of the major cities, Louisiana, Michigan, 
the statistics are, are, are staggering where African-Americans are dying 60 to 70% of all the deaths in these cities have been African-American. And so when you're looking at that, you're like, what's going on? What is it about the African-American community? What is it about their healthcare that is causing us to see more deaths in that community um, instead of any of the other communities. And so for me, it was very important that I started to address this among our community because I was seeing in our community, people getting scared and worrying and crying and wondering what is going on? Why are we being targeted? And so I think it's really important that we spend some time to talk about it. And it's so much more than just the virus is killing the black people. It's just the way the virus acts. It's not the method of the virus. It's the disparities in some of the biases we've seen in the healthcare system up until this point. And this is just evidence of what we've been experiencing up until this state. Um, and one thing that has been in the public eye a little bit more, I think, is with the, um, in the when you're looking at the maternal uh, healthcare field and you're looking at the black mothers, that has been very popular lately and that we're seeing that African-American mothers die more during childbirth than any others. Um, when I was in undergrad, I actually did research on infant mortality and African-American infants were more likely to die than any other infant, even if their mother could have had a PhD, gone to all of her doctor appointments, um, and was making greater than 70,000 a year, even in that bracket. So she had all the resources that anyone else did. Her child was more likely to die than any other child. So what is it that, so when you start looking at things like that, you have to really wonder like, what is going on that we're seeing all of these disproportionate numbers? And a lot of it has to do um, with, we could talk about some of the biases among the providers. That has a lot to do with it. When you sit down and you start interviewing, and I've talked to a, a, quite a few um, patients and people, how's your experience been with your doctor? You'll hear this very commonly in the black community. Oh, they ignored my concerns. They didn't take it seriously. They didn't believe that I was going through what I was going through. My own mother has told me, I went to the doctor, I told the doctor this, this, this is wrong, and the doctor doesn't believe me. You know, and so these type of things, so you have now, now with this virus, you may have patients going in and they're saying, I have symptom A, Y, A, B, and C. And for any other patient, this would be enough for them to get the treatment that they need to increase survival. But our patients, African-Americans are being sent home because they're not being taken seriously. So there's a lot of distrust in the, in the healthcare field. And this is from generations into generations into generations. This isn't something that's just happening now with the coronavirus. When you look at the history of the healthcare field, we don't really like to talk about the history, but when you look at the, the experiments for the medicines, for the whole obstetrician, um, obstetrician, the OBGYN field, the, when you start looking at the pap smears and all of the tools that we use now that are very great in diagnostic tools that we use, those were tested and experimented on African-American women. And so just the syphilis studies, you know, we talk about that we all know about the syphilis experiments and they're like, oh yeah, all these people in the community had syphilis. But when you actually talk to people who lived during that time, it wasn't that they had syphilis, they were being injected with the disease. So now you start building this distrust among the generations that you can't trust your doctors. So some people aren't even going to the doctors anymore because they don't have a trust. They know that they're not gonna be listened to, they're not gonna be heard. And so by the time they do seek out healthcare, it's too late. And then it may be too late. And if they don't get to the right doctor, they may not be taken seriously. So it's like we have all these layers on top of layers on things that we're experiencing in the 
African-American outbreak, we're actually seeing how it can affect us in the long term. Yeah, and I think, so you brought up several, um, several really key points. And I think um, one of the things that we're kind of recognizing and have been recognizing is that it's not just any one thing. Um, you know, there's, there are several different aspects, several different factors to, um, to uh, ensuring that care is equal across yes. the board. And, yes. and just in the Hispanic community in general, not many people have healthcare coverage and not many people trust their doctors. And so it's not, it's, you know, we don't frequent the doctors. We don't do that very often. Right. Um, so I think that that is, that is an important uh, thing to take into consideration as well um, is yes. accessibility, um, is the trust and, you know, the relationship that we have within our, our cultural community, but also with our, our doctors. Um, yes. So, yeah, I think that it's, it's really important to take that into consideration, especially as providers, um, when, you, when you are serving people of color, of, you know, and, and yep. um, those of, not of color, but um, it's just really important to, to ask those questions. Like you said, how, what was your experience like in the past? so that you might then have a, a better idea of where they're coming from so that you can, you can meet them where they're at, which I think is something exactly. that, yeah, I think it's something that our profession is, a, um, you know, that's something that we try to do. We try to, we try to meet people where they're at. Um, so this is another element of that. Um, yes. So what other, cause I mean, I'm, I'm here near Detroit and that's, again, that's another reason why for me, this has just become a really big um, topic, something that I've really wanted to discuss more. Um, I think another reason that we are seeing this um, are the, the comorbidities, um, right. you know, increasing risk. And so can you kind of talk a little bit more to that element? Yes, so also, um, and again, it goes over to seeing that those who are dying are more, are more likely to pass away due to the virus is because of a comorbidity. And so we already talked about inequality, which we could label as one of the big comorbidities because that is gonna, that alone is gonna be one of the comorbidities, but also when you start looking at the overall health of the community. And so we're looking at conditions like heart disease, hypertension, diabetes, these are very prevalent in our community. And some of them are going untreated. And again, they're going untreated because they don't have access to care. If they have access to care, they don't have access to, to great care, um, especially naturopathic care, which, and I am biased because I'm a naturopathic physician, but I feel like our medicine in these areas, we shine because we're big on prevention. We're big on building up the person in whole so that they can take care of themselves on a greater level. So they don't have access to this care. Um, and again, even I've, see, I've had patients come in and they've been going to the doctor, but the doctor's like, they haven't been addressing these concerns. They haven't been, could take a medicine and that's it, but they haven't been teaching them the things that we would teach on nutrition and things to just to have a healthy lifestyle to make these lifestyle changes. And so where our vitality or our immune system and our overall health is just 
already at a, at a deficit. And so we're seeing that our comorbidities are another hindrance to our health. And so it comes to the times like this where I'm really been trying to get out there and push education, which is something that we believe in as a foundation of our health is beginning to educate the community, beginning to teach them how to eat, what is considered healthy food. We take this for granted, especially within the Indian community, because that's what we're taught. We take for granted that people know what is healthy and what isn't healthy. But in our, and especially in our communities, we've never had that nutrition educate that nutritional education. So some of the people don't really know what's healthy. They may consider their fried chicken and their corn healthy meal we don't have that background so it really comes down to we have to start educating the basics and once you start educating them and tearing them down they'll be able to go ahead and build up and take care of their families and then it'll be a trickle-down effect and their overall health will be increased and then we'll see less occurrence in future instances hopefully we don't have another pandemic like this in our lifetime but if we do we will see that we'll be better fit because of the people have been educated. And this is something I think that can go across the whole board. I know I'm focusing on the African community, African-American community, um, because that's my passion. But overall, in the Americans in general, education on health and nutrition, so we can start focusing on prevention and we can be preventative instead of reactive is gonna be key in helping the survival rates in times like these, because they'll have a greater overall health and they'll have the knowledge to know what to do to take care of themselves. It all comes down to just education and helping them because of why is their blood pressure high? Usually it's something to do with dietary elements in their household and they're just bad habits that are passed down from generation to generation. So now they're like, oh, well, everyone and everyone has, and I've had people say this, all black people have hypertension. It's just something we have, not understanding. It's not something you have to have. Um, there are things you can do to prevent it. There are things we can, steps we can take to be healthier. But again, it comes down to having these conversations like we're having now with providers because there's a cultural competency there that has to be taking place. So they know how to go forth with their patients, but also taking the time to educate our patients. And it takes more than one conversation. Just like when you're teaching a child, repetition is key. Repetition is key. We have to keep kind of drilling it in little by little so they can start hearing it. And eventually there'll be a light bulb that goes off and they'll start making those changes to have a healthier life. Yeah, and, um, you know, on top of repetition, um, also having, having other people to look to, you know, having more than just one person um, speaking about this. And yes. um, I, I just think it's, it's really important because um, we, we all know how big social factors play a role in our health. And so if we're in a, a home surrounded by everyone else that's eating chips and living off of soda and, um, yeah. you know, pizza and that sort of thing, then that becomes our norm and we don't, we don't know any better. And that plays, it plays such a huge role um, um, and unconsciously. It's just, it just yeah. becomes a, a way of living. And yes. so it takes, it really does take educating whole families yeah. Um, how, however we, we can do that and, um, and at different levels, you know, um, in our school systems, to our parents, um, to the elderly, because a lot of these, I think another factor that comes into play here with, um, 
African-American and Hispanic and other, other um, um, you know, people of color that are being impacted, many, many live multi-generational. And, um, and so yep. there's, there's a lot more potential risk for exposure. I mean, yep. Easter just happened and I think about our family gatherings growing up and in Texas and it's not, yes. not unordinary to have 10 people in a home on any given day, <laughs> you know? This is true. Yeah. And so it's, it's another factor to take into consideration our, um, our, you know, the cult, it's another cultural um, aspect to, um, to remember and to educate on. Yes, yes, definitely. Um, and again, that goes down to that cultural competency, because like you said, we are very generational. So um, even in my household, I have four generations under one roof. And that's normal, you know, it's just normal to have that many generations and some of those habits that have been passed down from generation to generation, they're hard to break. And you have to have someone who's willing to educate and show, hey, no, let's do this different. Let me let me make the meals today and let's do this. And so again, I think um, education is gonna be our biggest, our biggest ally when it comes to it is because of education. And like I said, it could, there's so many levels and so many depths that we could go to when we're talking about the things that need to be undone. Um, and some of it is going to be on a greater level above, be, even beyond practitioner and client. Um, but, but we can do our part. And so when we focus on our, our level, I think education is going to be the biggest thing. And to just get in and start educating um, and teaching them. I know here I have a nutritionist and chef that I pair with, and she teaches how to make healthy food taste good how to have it have that taste that you're used to and that you desire but it still be good for you and things like that are very important because they're not going to give up their good food if they think oh this is going to be bland i'm not going to enjoy it they want to still enjoy their meal so it's just educating and trying to attack it in different ways um i couldn't tell one of my um elderly african-american patients that you need to start eating let uh salad and hummus they're going to be like, huh? That's not going to work well for them, right? So I have to, I have to be, since I have to be educated on the community based knowing what they already are like, and then be like, hey, how about we try to roast the chicken today or bake the chicken? And you can still use all of these seasonings. These seasonings are still okay. Um, but maybe add some of these herbs as well, because these herbs are going to do X, Y, and Z. Um, just knowing little things like that. Um, instead of making a peach cobbler today, how about we just slice some apples and put some cinnamon on it and throw it in the oven and have baked apples today. Little things making little changes where they can still enjoy what they like, but to add in, you know, different, um, I try to educate using food as medicine. Um, I always tell them to add cinnamon to things because as you know, it's anti-inflammatory. It's gonna be good for the blood pressure. Um, adding in, add in some garlic, add in all the garlic, all the garlic and onions that you'd like um, just <laughs> using food as their medicine this is going to be how we start attacking these problems because especially for us food is very social and it's not just i know it's not just in our community it's for people in general food is very social but our kitchens and our meals that's the heart of our families so we can't take away that from them but we have to educate them a different way 
and then they'll start making the little changes. It's all about making those little changes for greater health. And I think though, one of the great things that I've noticed during this pandemic is I've had people reaching out and they're like, what herbs can I take? What teas can I drink? Um, what supplements are gonna be good for me and my family at this time? And they're more open to it now because there's a, a greater need for it. And so this is our time to really start like attacking, hitting in and be like, hey, did you know X, Y, and Z herb is good for this and that? And you can take it in a tea form or you can take a tincture or you can take this. Um, elderberry syrup. Oh, let me tell you that elderberry syrup has been the way in right now. Um, and, <laughs> and just adding in what other herbs can I take? Tell me more, tell me more. So even though it's been a bad thing, it's also been a great thing because it's opening up their curiosity because they want to see what else is there that we can do because at this time a lot of people aren't trusting in the healthcare they're not going for the medicine so as naturopaths we can start leaning into this and really pushing i shouldn't call it our agenda but pushing our foundation pushing our heart the heart of our medicine is just food herbs the earth botanicals this is the time that they're open to it and we can really start making a greater impact now yeah, and prevention. I mean, that's that's one of the you know key elements to our our um, profession is is providing preventative measures, um, and um, and I think that that is really coming to light. That's been one of the motivating forces for me during this time is just seeing um, you know as I said before to me. Um, you know, this inequality as a comorbidity, it's, it's not a new thing, but it's no. really being brought to light where, yes. where we still have so much work to do and mm -hmm. uh, what areas really need help. You know, um, like I said, I'm, yep. I'm near Detroit. And um, so it's, it's, I, I even had questioned myself when I'm moving here, just thinking, oh, there's already you know, there's already a lot of public health um, facilities in the area. They don't need another one, um, but <laughs> that's clearly not. That's right. Great. Yeah, there's still there's still just so much work that we need to do to help great. people, um, or when these times do come, and even when they don't come, even if we're we're just considering um, influenza, um, you know, there's there's so many things that come annually that take many lives and um so it's it's really important um i mean the thing that i'm i guess <laughs> it's hard to be grateful during this but um to me it, it is just really like you were saying um it's really becoming more clear to people why taking care yeah. of ourselves on a day-to-day -day is yeah. necessary because there are things that Definitely. are going to come up that we won't have, um, we won't have an antiviral for or mm -hmm. an antibiotic for, um, mm -hmm. and so preventing those and creating our a more resilient body is yeah. is you know the best yeah best way that we can do that um, in whatever way we can you know everyone everyone is has different circumstances and. Um, is born into this world in different ways. Um, so it's, it's just, how can we best, uh, yes, best help 
Um, and so what are, what are other ways that, you know, we can kind of brainstorm a little bit here. So you've mentioned obviously education. And so what ways can we start implementing educational tools, um, either, uh, in person eventually once <laughs> that becomes a safer, <laughs> um, obviously, you know, one day. Yes. Right. Um, start thinking about the future. Um, but you you mentioned that you pair up with um, you pair up with nutritionists and mm -hmm. and doing cooking lessons and that sort of yep. thing. What are some other ways that we can start um, helping? Yeah, um, I definitely think um, even now without outside being open <laughs> with us being in, we there's so many things we can do virtually. Um, I think having these conversations are great, you know, for practitioners, but have conversations too that'll reach people on their level. Um, I've been doing a lot of Facebook lives to try to reach out and you'd be surprised at how many people, you know, tune in and are actually asking questions or in to begin that education. So doing um, virtual classes, education um, is really big on this time. Um, I really would like to pair with, and I haven't been able to, but I think it would be really good to, even with some of these community health organizations or public health organizations in our communities to say, hey, is there a way that I can um, bring some material in or help you with this material? Or maybe is there a class that I could teach once a month? Um, I know that uh, we all have our own financial burdens as well. So it's not like we can just do everything pro bono because, I mean, student loans alone, right? So we all have... <laughs> our own financial burden and we have families that we have to take care of so we still have to be financially taken care of but if there is an opportunity like I said if I can if I can give 15 minutes a week to just go on Facebook live and give a little education to start that conversation even from there I've noticed that the people have been starting to make sacrifice to be some stuff resources aside so they can come see me one-on-one -on -one because they want to continue that education. And so just beginning to open the doors, that education is going to be big um, on this level. Again, I think there's so much more that needs to be done uh, on a greater political level um, when we start looking at our community leaders and our politicians and things that need to be implemented on a greater level, right? Um, but on our level, on the practitioner level, some of the things we can offer, like I said, are these online classes, Facebook Lives, uh, educational, just worksheets or hand sheets, uh, handouts that we can leave at community centers, offering those. Um, I've really wanted to do like a community health fair um, at least once a year where I can open it up to the community and have different vendors and just have it free and let the people come in. And so these are things that I think we should start putting our time in and really start implementing. And again, with this pandemic, it's really opened up a time for people's curiosity to be like, hmm, let me see what they're talking about because it doesn't seem like the other system that we've been used to is working. So let me listen to them and see what they have. So this is really a time for us, the doors are open and we gotta take advantage of that where we have to start speaking because our medicine works. Mm -hmm. It works, it's effective mm -hmm. and we can, we can affect great changes in our community. And I feel like this is our opportunity to really start shining and letting people know that as practitioners, naturopaths need to be taken seriously because we can affect change on so many levels. And so whatever it is that you do, we just need to start doing it. <laughs> you know, like we just need to start doing it. And don't worry about it being perfect. You don't have to have 
um, professional software and cameras and things like that, you just get on with your cell phone and start talking for 10 minutes. I promise you, people are going to want to hear that. And it's going to make well, and even starting to find integration, see if we can find some um, ethic practitioners who would want to pair with us or collaborate with us so that we can start helping and affecting change. Because at this time, it's going to be all hands on deck to really help. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Um, that's something that's been coming to mind more so is how um, how integrative medicine in times, especially like this, can can be extremely helpful. Um, just working together to find solutions um, to these these large problems that that we're facing. Um, is there anything else that you would like um, other naturopathic doctors or other um, practitioners to kind of consider when it comes to uh, this topic of inequality as a comorbidity, just things that we should consider within our own practices or how we're speaking with people, um, how we're reaching out, anything like that? Um, just to keep in mind that there is inequality and it's there. And in some of these communities, access is one of the biggest issues. So even if we're having conversations on healthy foods and this and that, and they're listening, they still might not be able to implement it because they don't have the resources. They could live in a food desert. Those are real, where they don't have access to fresh fruits and vegetables. And so how can you help them where they are? So just remembering that we have to come to them and meet them where they are to start affecting change. Because some things we take for granted, like having grocery stores with fresh produce, they don't have this these access. Um, some people don't even have the finances to buy anything other than ramen noodles. And so one of the things that I was talking about in, um, in my conversation with another doctor is maybe we need to start going back to the days where we're teaching them how to grow some of their own vegetables. You don't have to have a garden in the backyard anymore. You can be in an apartment and you can just have some pots and some soil and seeds and you can make it happen. And this can be how take for granted the things we have because everyone doesn't have access to this. Um, everyone might not have, if you could be marketing to a certain market, but this community would never see that. You know, this, there's still communities in Michigan that don't have clean water. And mm -hmm. you know, again, that's a greater, uh, some of that is above us, but we have to keep remembering that there's just access, the accessibility and these communities are limited and we need to start, we need to, if we want to affect change and if we want to help, and if this is what your, your goal, like I really have a heart for the people and I want to help the people, remember that you might have to meet the people where they are and you're going to have to go outside of the box. I can't tell everybody um, about some of the things that we were, some of the, the methods that we were taught in school to teach and implement that are great naturopathic care. That's not going to be easy for everyone else to do. So I need to be able to take the foundation of and tailor it to what they have access to. So it's going to require a little bit of work and a little bit of thinking outside of the box, but it can be done as long as you have the heart and the passion to do it. Yeah, and I think it's it's so important to remember that, you know, there are so many uh, layers even to naturopathic medicine, and not everyone's going to be able to afford that $100 supplement that would be great for them. Um, not everyone's going to be able to, like you said, afford or have access to um, organic produce. Um, and so that might not be a good place to start for them. You know, for them, it even just 
even just acknowledging that buying, I mean, for me, one of the simplest things and affordable ways of getting my vegetables in is just buying a bunch of frozen vegetables um, and throwing that into my breakfast. And it's, it's accessible, it's, um, it's affordable, and it's a, a, you know, better, it's definitely better than nothing. Um, So, so remind, yeah, reminding of, of different ways that we can just start where, start where you're at, um, use what's available to you, you know, like hydrotherapy might be accessible to some people in other places. I know where I'm from, uh, water bills are extremely expensive. Um, so that might not be, um, the best tool, but we also have a lake, um, (laughs) you know, Michigan surrounded by the Great Lakes. So doing, you know, especially during the summer, teaching them how to do a little contrast, jumping in and out of the lake, things like that. just getting really creative with with what's around, you know, is there a park around exactly. that you can get some um, some time in outdoors, um, you know, when when we're able, um, just things like that to, like you said, um, meet people where they're at. Um, Agreed. Anything yeah. else as far as, because one thing that I think about when it comes to, um, the virtual care is is marketing and um you know when you think business wise they they have you kind of envision your um your target market your um uh clients you know that you would prefer and so what is something to think about when we are marketing and we're kind of having that person in mind um, that could maybe maybe help us make more accessible even just the marketing so that we're making sure that the the word is getting out to those that really need it yep um if you're if you're target if you want to make your target community, these minority communities or the communities are without, you're going to have to, you can't make a flyer with a 25 year old um, Caucasian riding her bike smiling and thinking that that's going to be something that they're going to be targeted for. You really have to do some research on the communities and see what are their likes. And again, I think this is all about that cultural competency, um, knowing the communities and just see what is it that in those communities, what is it that they like and what is it that they need. at in during the season hypertension that's something that affects a lot of the household so if i was to have a community session on hypertension that might bring them in because they're like oh this is something that affects me and then once you bring them in then you can start implementing other parts but you have to kind of meet them where they are and so it takes some research um even if it's you have to kind of it it takes some research i would definitely say take some research and reaching out um, like you said, having a conversation with someone who's a member of the community, reaching out to those leaders, uh, church leaders um, in the African-American community, especially religion is very, is one of the foundations of the community for the most part. Um, we're seeing a little bit of a, a wave now moving away from it, but those church leaders and those pastors, they still have a great influence on the community overall. So if you were to reach out to them and ask, hey, can I market this program to the, your congregation? That's going to give you a great access. And people listen to their church leaders, right? So getting in contact with those church leaders and those community leaders who are community leaders among the community who are affected 
amazing change that people are already trusting. And if you were to collaborate with them and market through them, that's going to bring in a great amount of people because now you have, you have to have someone they trust. Again, you have to remember that there's a great distrust and it's not necessarily that they're racist, but there's a great distrust among the community with the European-based practitioners because of the history that is there. We know the history. This is something that we're taught from childhood up, the things that they have done. The, you know, you can't trust your doctor. I don't care what the, you know, this is the things that have been engraved into us from childhood. So you're gonna have to find a common ground and find someone they trust to work with you, I think, because that's gonna open the door. But once they trust you, the one thing about us is once we trust you, the loyalty is there. And once they trust you, everything you say is gold. But you have to get that door open and you have to get them to trust you. But I promise once you get that, build that trust, they'll listen and they'll start coming to you and they'll start pushing people towards you. They'll be telling everybody, hey, this doctor, she's the one you can trust. If she tells you to do it, you need to listen. So it's just kind of getting that foot in that community and building the trust. And maybe you have to do a few free community health fairs and let them see you in the community being active and taking seriously. Because they're not gonna believe that you wanna help them, but you've never even been to where they live. They're gonna be like, how are you gonna help me? And you've never even left the east side. You've never come on this side of the train tracks. You don't know what I'm dealing with. So it's gonna take you stepping out of your comfort zone as well to prove to them that you know you're really, really, really willing to do the work. But like I said, once that trust is there, your your power of influence is it's 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 an, there's nothing that can match it. It'll be priceless because then you'll have so much power and control and influence over them and you'll be able to help empower that community for them to take care of themselves. So it's definitely going to have to build a trust and maybe to get started, it's going to start with finding some trusted community members to go ahead and collaborate with and get in with them and start getting, opening those doors of communication. Yeah, I think that, um, that's that's definitely a, a great way to go about it. And even um, I was just thinking, you know, even just educating those leaders and having them help you share and educate and kind of disseminate the information that way, um, kind of a top-down effect um, yep. might, might be possible as well. Um, all right. Um, is there anything else? I feel like we've hit on quite a few of, of um, these important aspects to, you know, what we're seeing. Um, is there anything else that, I know uh, one thing that you guys touched on was, um, was with smoking and I know that's, yeah, that's definitely big in, um, some Hispanic cultures, and um, so I'm not sure if that's something that you want to talk about. Maybe just again as a more of an awareness for our right. doctors to to take into consideration with. Right, we did. We talked about smoking because we were talking about some of the other comorbidities and what are making us more. Um, susceptible to the coronavirus and to death by coronavirus. And we all know that smoking is um, going to weaken our lungs overall and the vitality of our lungs. And so it's going to make you more susceptible to the virus and to dying by the virus. And when you start looking at the research, the research shows that a lot of like the cigarette companies, they target these minority communities and these um, lower income communities overall 
with their products and they've been marketing them and targeting them from childhood. So you see smoking is something that's so popular and it's another social thing in the community. So it's something that has to be addressed as well. And again, this is that cultural competency, knowing the things that are happening in the community and be like, oh, okay, so this is something that they do and this is a big factor in their health. Maybe we can start addressing smoking. Um, and a lot of people know that smoking isn't good for you, but they're not gonna stop, right? And so if you can start giving them alternatives or telling them why they should stop, again, this is a prime time to be like, hey, your lungs are burdened right now due to this and you don't want this to happen. So how about we try to help you get off of it? Let us help you quit. Our medicine is great at smoking cessation. So this is, again, our time. I just, I love naturopathic medicine because I feel like we can shine so bright in everything that we can do because we have so many alternatives and so many helpful things to help build a person up. And again, it just comes down to identifying those factors and kind of addressing them that way. And like you said, smoking is definitely one of them. Um, when you look at like the Newports, that's one of the biggest cigarettes in our community that people are smoking. And not just, um, so we just have to make sure we're addressing smoking. And for those who are smoking marijuana, letting them know there's other alternatives, especially if they're using it medicinally, smoking in general is just bad for you, but there are other delivery methods that you could use if you have to use that for medicine. And just educating them on that because they might not know that there's other methods or they might be scared to try other methods because this is what everyone's always done again it's a trust thing right this is what everyone's always done we've done it like this why would i do something different well now you're presenting it to them hey because of the burden on your lungs and the toxins you might not want to do this but if you tried this this way it's going to have the same effect and it's got a healthier delivery form right so I think that's definitely um, another thing, getting into the communities and seeing how we're, how they're targeted with alcohol, um, malt liquor, uh, smoking, and, you know, just even a lot of the snacky foods, yeah. you see, like the potato chips and the Takis and um, all of these snacky fast foods, food. that the, yeah, the fast food, when you go, if you actually go, um, like if I was to go now, into um, the hoods of Phoenix, um, in the south side of Phoenix, if I was to drive over there. And I just drive fast food. There's not gonna be a Subway, there's no Panera, there's none of these healthier options that we have for fast food, maybe on my side of town. Um, it's gonna be Church's Chicken, McDonald's, Taco Bell. They're a lot of the unhealthier ones, that's their access and they're cheap, so now the people are like, oh, like Jack in the Box. Oh, I can go here and spend $2 and feed my family. And that's what they're gonna do. So you have to realize that they're being targeted to be unhealthy. And so you have to combat that with the same degree and recognize that it's not that they just don't want to be healthy, is they, they, they may not know and they might not have access. And so you have, again, that's one of the things like maybe just drive through the neighborhoods see what they're see what they're dealing with in certain communities um i used to live outside of chicago um i lived um and so i spent a lot of time in chicago and the city i lived in was um not the best um and i've driven and you could just go corner by corner there's going to be fast food there's going to be liquor stores every corner so this is how, this is what they're being targeted with. So now you know your competition, right? Now we've seen the competition. We know what we have to combat and we have to give them alternatives to that. And if, okay, so you're going here, could you maybe get this meal? Or could we save a couple of dollars and maybe see, sometimes there's local, see if there's local farmer's markets we can direct them to. Um, I know here there is just, but you have to know that. 
you know yeah. what I'm saying? Don't begin to give them other options. Yeah, and I think it, you know, another, you, you brought up um, financially too, having having people take, a, start taking notes of where they're spending their money because mm-hmm. you might be surprised at how much money they are spending on cigarettes and on alcohol and yeah. on fast food. And once you add all of that up, oh, now you have this extra budget, this extra room in your budget for some fresher food. <laughs> Yeah. Also, um, so I think that that could be another tool that we kind of implement is, well, where are you spending your money? You know, how can we find money in your budget to to shunt it towards things that are actually going to help you um, rather than hurt you? Um, So that's that's definitely a point too. And also the point about marketing, I think, is really big because we can either use marketing for good or for bad, and um, and. Taking that into consideration as well, um, who is being who is being targeted by which companies, and how can we help to counteract that? Um, because okay. you're totally right; that is part of our part of our competition. It's not just you know yes. our competition is not just in medicine; it's it's in environment and politics, unfortunately. And there's there's definitely yeah. yeah a lot of other components um because we're we're a lifestyle type of medicine you know it's just no getting around those those things um all right is there yeah is there anything else that you would like to to talk about on this topic um i think that this was a great start and i think that these i i commend you and applaud you for having these conversations and having a platform to have these conversations um, I think this was a great start, and I, I think if we can just keep having these conversations, and every practitioner, it's a big problem, right? This this problem is big, but if we all tackle our little bit at a time, you know, what we can, we can start helping. We can start making those necessary changes, and so if everyone's just doing their part, um, again, I think naturopathic medicine is amazing. We have, our toolbox has so many tools that can help people on every level, from every economical um, standpoint, from every community, no matter race, creed, um, wealth or not, I think we have something in our toolbox that can help everyone. And so it's just a matter of being able to acclimate to the communities as we move. And the things that I would do in one community, I may not do in another community, but I'm still giving them the same health care overall they're still having access to that same medicine and our medicine can change lives and so i just encourage us all even with all this pandemic and you know some of our practices have changed and where our doors are shut now we have to do things differently i i just encourage us all to kind of lean into this pandemic and let this be our time to really shine and start hitting these communities with what we're we are talented and we are gifted and we are blessed with the knowledge that some people just don't have access to and so let's start sharing it this is our time to shine um so i'm just encouraging us all to to just keep doing that and those little changes eventually will make great changes there will be they'll have greater effects as time goes by i love that and i hope you know i hope that we can continue this conversation um and maybe get more specific and you know start brainstorming more specific tools more ideas that we can really really start making change um as we go it really does yeah it really does um take
take take group effort and we all have to be in this together Agreed. Um, yeah so i think you i think you kind of hit on my last question here already but um you know if, if there's anything else you want to reiterate what keeps you what keeps you inspired by naturopathic medicine and hopeful for the future of healthcare? oh that's a good question what keeps me inspired i think what keeps me inspired is naturopathic medicine is just i know the power in our medicine and i know that it works um even from the beginning and with my background i am christian and background so um sometimes i reference that but in my background i remember when i was first starting in school when i because i come from an allopathic family i have allopath all the doctors in my family are you know traditional mds and so i was the first one i applied to traditional school was headed that direction and then i just kind of jumped ship and jumped in naturopathic medicine it was because i wanted to affect real change um working in our practices and our clinics i got tired of seeing the same patients every month right coming in just to get refills but there was no real changes and i was like we have to make changes and i feel like our medicine did it and i went back and i was reading the bible one day and i was reading about the garden of eden which is like the very beginning but in the garden of eden the lord god had said that everything they needed to survive was in that garden and so that meant that every plant and every creature that was there would help them through whatever they had if there was an illness they could heal it through a plant and i was just like oh my goodness it was like <laughs> the lights went off and at that moment I, I knew that i had to find natural ways to be able to affect changes in people because there's something out there that can do it it doesn't have to be um, another alternative and so is and i and i love i love the allopathic medical world. i don't want to say that i'm against them um, but i think there's a place for everything and i just don't want us to forget our place and our place especially at times like this our place can affect changes on a greater level and there are some people who will only listen to us because they've been burned by the other system and so we should need to just lean into that and um like i said I know that there seem, it seems to be a broken healthcare system now, and it seems to be so many disparities and so many inequalities, but I feel like if we keep having these conversations and we keep taking our little steps, the future is gonna be great. Our healthcare system will be fixed. There'll be, it'll be, the foundation is gonna be fixed and we'll be able to affect change. And with our medicine and with our education, not necessarily are we gonna, maybe the healthcare system itself, but will affect the people. And the people will start making, those changes because they'll start living a lifestyle where they won't need a broken healthcare system because they have tapped into how to heal their bodies naturally and how to live a lifestyle that's preventative. Oh, I love that. That is so great. Thank you so much for, for sharing and for um, helping to keep us inspired and informed and having this discussion. Um, it is so, so necessary um, and so important. Um, and so where can people find you, Dr. Dorian? Um, awesome. Um, I'm on Facebook as Dorian Richardson ND, Dorian D-O-R-I-A-N Richardson ND. My Instagram tag is the same thing, at Dorian Richardson ND, and my website is www.dorianrichardson.com. So if you know my name, <laughs> you can find me. Um, and then on my website, you can find links to all of my social media pages and like i said i've been really good about trying to go on live at least once a week um maybe sometimes during the pandemic i've gone two or three times a week just trying to address when i see a big concern i try to make sure we're addressing it and trying to redirect you know 
kept keep down on the hysteria. So you can contact me on all of those. My email is info at dorianrichardson.com. So um, if you need to reach out to me, um, I'm looking forward to it. I'm always open to conversations. I'm always open to collaborations and working with other people because I know it takes a village. It's gonna take a village of healthcare professionals to affect change, just like it takes a village to raise a child. Um, it takes a village and I'm willing to work with those who are willing to put in the work so we can really start making some major changes. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for all the work that you do and your, you've been doing. Um, I, I appreciate it. And, and thank you so much for taking the time to do this today. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Of course. All right. Have a good one.